0: Hello and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short, controlled bursts. I'm John Engel. I'm Kyle Crane, and today we'll be discussing
1: Minute Number Fifty, which begins with Ripley making a clean spot on Newt's face and ending with Hudson saying, "So far, Zippo."
0: All right, yeah, and it's Friday, Kyle. Last day of the week, uh, being co-hosts of the Alien Minute. How was it? Was it was it gratifying? Was it satisfying for you? Did you find it fulfilling?
1: It was everything I could have dreamed of and more. We've got such a great guest with Genevieve here today, uh, you know, and uh, adding all sorts of intelligent conversation. And for me personally, um, uh, I just Aliens is a film that means a lot to me, and I really want to thank you for this opportunity to come on the podcast and talk about it. So it's it's been a lot of fun.
0: Well, yeah, thanks so much for coming on, man. It's much appreciated. And like you said, Genevieve Kosky's back again for the fifth day. You made it all the way through the week. How do you sure. feel about that, Genevieve?
2: I feel great. It's been a, a lot of fun. I, Aliens is one of those movies that I've just through circumstance I've never gotten to really discuss in my professional career in, in, in any way. Um, so this is, it's been fun being able to dig into this small portion of it so, so deeply.
0: Yeah, well, it was nice uh, hearing you say you know earlier that you have uh, that aliens, that iconic aliens poster on your wall. So yeah. I didn't realize how much of a fan you were. You know, that's that's interesting because usually we do talk about when was the first time you saw aliens, and I realized we haven't talked about that. Why don't you? Tell us if there's a story behind it.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I, sh- I should clarify that it is in my guest room. So, you know, it's not like, you know, it's it's, it's, a, little, it's a little hidden there. But I do have the aliens poster. <laughs> but,
0: well, that but, um, means you want anybody who's staying in your house to know what a big aliens fan you are. I think that's yeah. even more, maybe a more important place than anywhere else.
2: <laughs> that's that's true. That's true. Um, but I am actually, I probably only saw Alien. Well, first of all, I'm one of those people that saw aliens before Alien because I think uh, anyone who's heard me on The Next Picture Show uh, knows that I don't really, um, I'm very particular about uh, my horror films, and knowing Aliens' reputation as a horror film, I uh, always sort of avoided it, Um, until I saw Aliens, uh, probably for the first time about 10 years ago. Um, I definitely saw it as an adult, because action movies were just not a thing in my household growing up. Um, I grew up in more of a Shirley Temple Gidget movie uh, household. <laughs> so so you know, I, I filled in my action movie beats much later in life. Um, but uh, watched Aliens like I said about 10 years ago and just absolutely fell in love with it. I think I've come back to it probably, I think it's probably like my fourth or fifth time revisiting at this point. So um, yeah, it's it's been a joy. And, and like I said, I've my um, co-podcasters uh, on the Next Picture show uh, who are also my fo- former co-workers at the defunct website the dissolve uh, they have all talked uh, extensively about both aliens and alien and i just have never gotten to be a part of those discussions so excited to get to do that finally
0: <laughs> well we're honored to have uh, you know our show be the inaugural <laughs> aliens discussion show for you that's awesome yeah. Kyle, why don't you tell everybody, what, what? do you have a story behind the first time you saw Aliens, or do you remember oh, yeah. it?
1: Uh, I can almost actually give you the date. Uh, it was, um, I think, right after, maybe it was New Year's Day, 1980, 1990, actually. Um, I remember CBS did a broadcast of Aliens. Uh, that was actually the director's cut, I think, without the scene with Newt's family at the very beginning. It had everything else uh, in it. So that was my... I had I was familiar with the concept of Alien before that. I remember there was a kid at my lunch table in grade school who would draw xenomorphs, and I just thought they were so cool-looking. And I was like, well, "You know what is that? And he's like, oh, it's an alien, and here's all the Aliens Dark Horse comic books, which I was way too young to be reading. Uh, and then when Aliens came on CBS... Uh, I was at my grandparents' house, uh, which was about two-hour drive from my house. And the, sh- the movie started, and I was like, oh, my God, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And my dad's like, we got to go. So we had a television in the van, so for the entire broadcast – Uh, Driving back home, uh, I tuned into different CBS affiliates uh, in the van, watching it on a little tiny black-and-white TV the whole time, just completely blown away by it. Getting home just in time for the showdown between Ripley and the Queen, and I knew at that point I think I had found probably my first, like, obsession. And just from that point on, it was a deep dive into anything I could get my hands on involving the Alien franchise. Uh, You know, right now in my home office, I've got, you know, a bookshelf. It's just all the NECA alien action figures on it. Uh, and, um, yeah, I, I, love the, the franchise, uh, and I'm excited to see where they're going to go with it, even though I was not the biggest fan in the world of, uh, alien covenant recently. So this, um, this franchise, the alien, the xenomorph, uh, Ripley, these are all things that I hold very close to my heart. So, you know, getting an opportunity to come on this podcast and, and talk about this, it, it means a lot to me. So again, thanks for this
0: opportunity. Cool. Well, that might be the weirdest way to have seen a movie for the first time I've ever heard. I'm not kidding. I mean, that's really interesting, man. I didn't even know that could be done. So, yeah, wow, cool. Yeah, no wonder you remember it, too. That's such a, a notable, like, way to see a movie. You would have to remember it. All right, so we got Ripley and Newt are continuing their discussion. And I guess this is the mem- this is the minute where we start to really see the bond maybe start to form. We, we're not 100% there yet, but... We definitely are seeing Ripley in her natural way she has with children, right? Wouldn't she say she's pretty much a natural in, in dealing with a child and speaking on their, I don't know if on their level is the right way to put it, but being able to speak to a child in, in terms that they can understand?
2: Oh, I, I mean that I made a clean spot here, now I've done it joke. Like that's such a mom joke. Like, like it's just like the platonic ideal of a mom joke, <laughs> you know? Um, and yeah, I, I think like, like you said, it's not quite speaking to her on her level, but speaking to her as, as a protector and as a caretaker. And even just like the cleansing of the face is such like a tender, intimate thing. Like going back to the characterization of Newt as a, you know, a, an animal or a, a, you know, a cornered animal, like an animal's not going to let you touch their face if they're scared, <laughs> you know, or a human's not going to let you touch your face. If, if you're scared. Um, and so I think like that actual kind of touching and cleansing of the face in particular is really central to that bond being formed there.
0: Well, I can tell you from experience too, that kids typically, whether they're traumatized or not, don't really like you wiping their face. Like my kid is constantly, no, stop it. (laughs) So you can imagine what it would have been like had Gorman tried to pull this, you know, wiping the face business. It certainly wouldn't have gone well. I think there would have been another biting, another one of those signature James Cameron biting scenes that would have occurred. But uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, and you know what? There's two ways to look at it. Again, we're back to this two different lenses we can look through depending on which cut we're watching, right? So Ripley, if you're director's cut, if you're watching the director's cut, you have Ripley, the experienced mother. She's had a child. She's dealt with this kind of situation before. So she knows just what to say and how to act. Or you have the theatrical cut, Ripley, and we're talking about an empathetic survivor, someone who sees through the eyes of the other person and understands. Or you could read in the maternal instinct idea of Ripley where she's just kicked into this instinctual caretaker mode. So, again, we have another scene that's very rich but is not detracted in any way by either version of the movie. So I I find that very interesting. This keeps popping up in this movie where both cuts have their merits and not and one isn't necessarily better than the other, and you get different things out of both versions.
1: Yeah, and like one version doesn't negate things that happen in the other version either. It works right. on those on both of those levels. It's it's very rare that you find something uh, that's like that. And I just want to jump on to what Genevieve said real quick too. The mom joke about I made a clean spot, you know, I have to do the rest. Uh, that's uh, this this movie, and I don't know how much you've talked about this on the podcast, John. It it's got so many great one-liners in it. You know, like Rico Ross's character uh, is just always dropping like little funny, you know, like, oh, I guess she doesn't like the cornbread either, you know, just like funny little one liners like that. But I find that that line about I made a clean spot, I'm going to have to finish the rest is one that I repeat a lot in life when I'm like cleaning my house. You know, my wife and I will say that to each other, you know, on our clean days or whatever. But it's funny because it's not supposed to be like a Schwarzenegger, you know, it's kind of like a after a kill joke or something like that. It's just a, this one little line, but it's uh, it's kind of iconic. And uh, this movie, The Dialogue, I don't know if that was really what they were going for, but there's so many iconic lines out of this movie that I find myself just, you know, repeating in, in casual conversation in real life. But for some reason, that's one of them.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I think that that's, that's part of what, I don't know if it, if it's necessarily, it seems to be a, a more of an element of 80s action films in general, that they seem to understand better at that time, that you have to be, while you have to move the action along in this visceral, kinetic pace, you also kind of have to punch in the dialogue a little bit in the same way. It's not just the action; it's not just the image. You got to have these little moments where the dialogue kind of pricks up the audience's ears. They, there's a laugh moment, or there's cleverness. Your little your cleverness detector, is, whether it's clever or not, is a matter of opinion. But uh, some of the lines in this movie, I should say, but uh, you know, something is it's. Joy centers are hit constantly. It's not just about deep, meaningful dialogue. It's not about a movie like Alien where you're kind of withholding dialogue as much as you can. It's much more about what's happening in the scene, what's not being said a lot of the time. In action cinema, you kind of just need to keep things going. And now there's that's not to say that you don't have those moments as well where people aren't saying exactly what they mean. Or there's like unspoken moments between people as well. If you're going to have dialogue in an action movie, though, I think it's got to be jaunty. It's got to jump off the screen, and occasionally you got to get some laughs here and there, especially when you're dealing with a suspense action film like this, Mm -hmm. where you got to relieve tension here and there. And you know, it's just nice to to go on a ride with these characters that are also kind of funny, and and it's also kind of you know leads us into the next thing I was going to talk about. Unless you guys want to talk more about Ripley and Newt here, Um, I don't know. Do you guys have anything more to say about Ripley and Newt? I don't want to jump away from that too fast.
2: Um, Well, I I guess just before we get away from it, I I wouldn't mind talking a little bit just about the idea of the the feminization. Like, this is a moment of feminization for Ripley, which is kind of at odds, I think, with the sort of gender egalitarianism of, of Alien, where, you know, gender is not really an issue in anyone's behavior. And this is very, I mean, obviously this whole movie is about, motherhood um and this moment in particular is very feminizing for ripley um and she's she's softened here and yes feminized but she, but i think what's crucial is that she's not weakened like that doesn't make her weak her maternal instincts allow her to do something that brute force is incapable of achieving which we've seen over and over again in, in these minutes we've been discussing you know or at least achieving successfully um so i think it, it's really interesting just to kind of consider uh, the feminization of Ripley. I, I, Cause I know that it, I think it, it bothers some people, especially in comparison to her characterization in Alien. But um, I think it's also interesting when combined with the Marines, because, you know, mothers and children are traditionally the ones in need of saving by military force. You know, that's the trope, protect the women and children. Um, but, but here it's not only, a mother rescuing a child it's foreshadowing that mother's ability to rescue the marines and herself later on
0: yeah we have talked about that a little bit here and there and that's good that you brought in that that note as well i just like that it's just such an interesting subject in this movie and, and you're right it could go either way because some people are a little bit put off by it and i mean i i prefer this ripley to the alien ripley as a standalone character i prefer alien as a movie but I really love Ripley in this particular film, and I th- I think that she's just enriched by the added subtext here. That and uh, a lot of the things you're talking about are what that is. Um, uh, you know, when Tasha was on, we talked about this a lot too, and other people, and for the most part, everyone kind of sees it the same way that this is a, a a nice positive addition, and that the fact that you know Tasha even said specifically that being maternal doesn't necessarily mean she's being overly feminized either. Like that's not, it's not one in the same. Those are, those could be two separate things. And that was in relation, you know, to my question, whether that I've been asking most of the uh, female guests that we've had on, whether they see a defeminization in this movie, as in, None of the other characters that are female tend to behave or be dressed like or have hairstyles of or any of the other signposts of a female that we're used to uh, traditionally going all the way back to the nurse that we see initially or uh, in the in the hospital room. So I'm glad that you brought that up because I think that we're starting to now get into the real meat of an actual relationship that Ripley is having that could be informed by a lot of the of the, you know, the maternal instinct for lack of a better way to put it, maybe. But. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah, I was going to get into. We were talking about clever one-liners and so on. Uh, the master, the king of clever one-liners in this particular movie, <laughs> is a uh, is our old pal Hudson, played by the late great Bill Paxton. And I was going to say though that about this particular line when when Gorman approaches and and Hudson and Burke and everyone's they're all busy doing something. He goes smoking or (laughs) non-smoking, and I'm like, okay, this is the maybe the only time in the movie where I feel for Gorman. (laughs) Okay, I would be getting tired of this bullshit too. Quit enough, Hudson. Like, what what does that even mean?
2: (laughs) I I I literally have this quote in my notes, and in all caps next to it, I have, "What does this mean?" (laughs) (laughs) Yes,
0: like, I mean, obviously, I think he's supposedly a maitre d, like a, a, a host at a restaurant or something. It's like shut up dude just let's get down to business here like i mean i love the hudson's lines obviously are some of the most iconic parts of this movie and part of what we were just talking about where it's like we need this jaunty fun dialogue and then it starts to play in this sort of reverse way later right but we're that's getting way ahead of ourselves but i think it's just so funny that gorman's like just enough tell me what you're doing <laughs> All right, and like I said, it's one of the few times where I'm like, "Yeah, Gorman, I feel you. I'm with you on this one."
1: I would imagine that uh, Hudson would have been court-martialed by this point a long time ago, just like you know, <laughs> insubordination with his just just his dialogue alone. You know, like he's really at this point brings nothing to their unit other than just him, his ability to open doors or you know use mapping equipment or something like that. But it, uh, yeah, it's it's a little annoying at this point.
2: And also, like he's a private. You know, like, he's he's not even, like, he doesn't even have the authority of an officer behind this, you know, bravado of his. He's just, you know, kind of being a twerp.
0: (laughs) You know, that's kind of funny. I would actually like to throw this out. We have a few listeners who are, you know, ex-military or presently military. And we've gotten some really cool, like, good information, inside information about how accurate or inaccurate some of this stuff is. And I kind of wonder, you bring up the fact that Hudson's a private. Wouldn't a tech officer or a comms officer be more than a private? I'm curious. I have no idea. I've done no research. I'm not going to do it now. I'm throwing this out to the listeners out there. Wouldn't – for some reason in my mind, I feel like a comm officer or a tech officer would be more of a corporal, but just that's just a point of, you know, that's pedantic. I don't care. I just – a little point. I'd like to get some information back. It's it's a little interactive moment for Alien Minute. Let's have the <laughs> listeners uh, chime in and tell us.
2: Maybe it oh, wait, can, can I just give my theory that sure. uh, technology has evolved to the point where there is less specialization needed, and you know, a that's a good point. Could do yeah. it, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that w- wouldn't that mean though that also everyone else in the in the company could do it then? Yeah, like so to be
2: even more useless.
0: He's <laughs> even more, so that that works. So they're just like. <laughs> Uh, make him do the boring shit, just yeah. the, the tech shit. Oh God, we can all do that in our sleep. Make him do it. Yeah, that, maybe it's co- him being the tech officer is punishment for all the bullshit, like one-liners <laughs> he's throwing out. Instead of him, maybe it's like the lowest
1: latrines he has to do this now.
0: <laughs> yeah, the version. Yeah, the the future's version of cleaning the latrines is opening the doors and like hacking the computers and, and so on. Looking yeah. at
2: this indecipherable map.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, it's another one of those. We talked about this on Alien, too. Um, sometimes these graphics on these screens, it's like, there's no way anybody's seeing anything there. <laughs> there's no way that you could. But, you know, it's the future. We don't know. We don't know yet. But we are getting, though, what they are, we get what they're looking for here. And we talked about it in the last minute a little bit. Is uh, We're looking for signs of the PDTs, or as uh, Burke tells Gorman, the personal data transmitters. So... Let's, uh, Kyle, what's your feeling on these guys? This is another, this is an additional bit of tech for the alien universe. What do you think about it?
1: I love it as kind of a, as a device in the storytelling, uh, because there are so many times in this movie that people have to have, um, they have to be aware of where other people are spatially. And we get that through like, you know, the little monitors and the APC and then, you know, uh, the the map later when he, you know, Hudson drops another great one liners, you know drop your linen and start your grinning or something like that when he finally finds everything. But, uh, as far as just a, a thematic device or a, um, uh, an element of the screenplay, I think it's, it's pretty brilliant, you know, um, to be able to, to track people like this. It comes in later in the film, uh, when Ripley gives Newt, uh, the little, uh, wristband, I guess another future Fitbit to be able to track her down and and find her. But, uh, it, it, yeah, it, As part of the tech of Aliens, it fits in with everything else. You know, it's kind of like rugged and, uh, you know, it it has a... um a very, uh, in world, uh, meaning and usefulness to it. But then also as like a screen as a, uh, a story beat type thing, it, it works really well to kind of be like, okay, here's our goal that we need to get to. Let's have it represented here on the screen. So yeah, I think it's, um, it's, uh, one of the, you know, b- brilliant little things that just Jim Cameron kind of threw into this film is a, on a tech level that works as a story device as well.
2: I think it also kind of plays into the characterization of the Weyland-Yutani corporation in, in this franchise and in, in this movie in particular. Like, I mean, we, I don't think we're told specifically that like it was the corporation that implanted them with these, but there, uh, I think we can assume that it was. And like, there, there's something, there's something there, you know, about them each being implanted with something like ostensibly it's for safety, but there's also kind of the sense that this is, you know, Wayland yutani monitoring its property to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just kind of contributes to the sense of this, like all controlling malignant corporation that's, you know, essentially branding its employees here.
0: Yeah, I think, I think it's safe to say that, because it's Burke that's bringing us this information Mm -hmm. that it's definitely the company whale and Yutani that has done this, you know, part of your contract, uh, for this job, it's, you know, and you get this feeling like, I think there's even a joke meme or something out there of Hadley's a picture of Hadley's hope with a sign. And it says, uh, you know, would you, do you want $10,000 to go travel to an exotic place? You know, it's like one of those things where, you know, it's, going to work in Alaska for 50 grand and or whatever it is, it's that kind of a thing where you signed a contract, but you know, one of the, one of the sub lines in the contract is we all have to wear these personal data transmitters and maybe they even sell them, you know, going back to the last minute where we talked to, maybe they sell them as, Oh, they're like a Fitbit, you know, but it's <laughs> surgically implanted. It'll tell us, you know, if you're starting to have a heart attack, it'll like, it'll, you know, ping in the medical bay and you'll can go right over there and get fixed. You know, any kind of a sort of, dystopian slash supposedly utopian idea. And we talked a lot about that uh, again with with Tasha and and, uh, Kwame back way back in minutes like 16 through 20. We talked about this perceived dystopian society you can kind of glean out of this movie. It's in the background. It's not really in the text of the film exactly, but there's little hints at it here and there. And then all of our personal uh, tastes in sci-fi kind of led us to – deduce that this has got to be like a corporatocracy kind of dystopian society you know we get more of that later in the franchise anyway but yeah I think that that's what uh, we're talking about here and I do think uh, Genevieve you're right in the last minute to think that yeah it probably is monitoring all of your health and it's something that 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 Dietrich was able to monitor in you know like tap into in in Newt and figure out if she was doing okay or not but um, you're right too Kyle I think that as a storytelling device it's brilliant because we have so much going on, this movie is so dense, and then it it's so wonderfully, you know, broken down into these very simple visual things that can tell us what we're seeing and what we're supposed to be understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, three different ways, like you said, with the monitors, the the cameras on the on the Marines. Then we have our good old fashioned motion detector uh, that we got from Alien, and now we have this new thing that we know if we see a point of light on a screen, that means it's a person. There we go. That's a person that we know who they are. And like you said, with the watch, Ripley gets one too with the watch. And it's brilliant. It's good action movie sci-fi storytelling because you don't have to keep reminding the audience of what they're seeing. You get – everybody just knows what's happening. They know the rules and we can just move forward with the action as it goes.
1: And with very little uh, kind of exposition getting us into it, there's – the what Burke says is really just kind of a throwaway line. You know, He just kind of says, oh, personal data transmitter. Everybody has one. You know, we don't get like specifics on like how it works, like geolocation or anything like that. It's just like, oh, it's this thing everybody has. That's it. You know, <laughs> and we move on with it. So yeah, it, some lesser screenplays I think would have taken a lot of time saying like, oh, it's a pill that everybody has to take, and then it attaches itself to their intestines. But it's just kind of you know, it doesn't take up any any screen time. It's just a you know one line that that Burke has, and then we move on from there. So
0: I do want to talk about the fact that it, this is a classic exposition line and you're right it's very efficiently done mm-hmm. but one element of it that is curious that I want to talk about is the 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 dummy stick holder here like so you know a lot of times in science fiction classically with star trek as I always like to talk about star trek I'll bring it up you know classically there had to be someone in in every scene that held the dummy stick right because there's going to be this complex scenario that has to be explained to the audience so somebody has to be the audience surrogate And in this case, it's Gorman. And now it seems kind of obvious, right? He's the dumbest guy in the room, uh, as he's been shown so far. But it also doesn't really make sense that he would be the one asking this question or be the one with the lack of information here, right? I mean, he was running a debriefing earlier. Shouldn't he be on top of all this information?
1: Yeah. And, you know, with his uh, kind of insight into the company as well, you think he'd have some sort of tech manual that he'd been reading, you know, on the way over. But it doesn't appear that way. <laughs> he's in the dark more than anybody
0: else. And he, and he's a computer console commandant, right? Yeah. Like he's the he's the gamer commander, you know, so you think that tech stuff would be he, the thing that he would be knowledgeable of. It's the like actual action that he doesn't know anything about. But I do think it's interesting. I want to get Genevieve's thoughts on this too. I mean, did it strike you as odd, Genevieve, that he was the guy here that was asking the questions?
2: Um, actually, no. And um, well, first of all, I just wonder if you guys, if it has been brought up, how close Gorman's name is to the word gormless. In. <laughs>
0: uh, yes, it was it was Tasha that brought that up. As a matter and of
2: that, fact, and that's a word I know from Tasha, so that that okay. totally makes sense. <laughs> but so, so, like, it just it is uh, like inherent to his personality because it's like there in his name. But going back to what I was just saying about like the the PDTs being a Wayland Utani thing, like um, I I guess I can buy the explanation that Gorman isn't familiar with them because they are something that company does versus something that is necessarily done everywhere or in in other missions that he's either been a part of or or read about, I guess, you know? Um, So like, I guess in, in thinking of it as Wayland yutani specific technology, the question works for me there.
0: See, I guess that in my mind, I've always thought of these Marines as, as these pawns for the company, And that they're kind of what they're doing all the time is doing jobs for the company. So I guess I thought the other way that he would always have knowledge of what the tech of the company has. Like he was, you know, except, I mean, I guess we're talking about Gorman here. So he's only been on one other actual drop, right? So maybe that's the reason why it makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I didn't even think about that part. I was thinking about also the matter of deduction here that we have because Ripley should be – holding the dummy stick probably. I keep using that term. It's just kind of what always runs through my head. It should probably be Ripley cuz she's the outsider here, but we just had this uh, huge injection of agency into Ripley, right? We've just had this thing happen that we talked about all week how this is the moment the previous sequence of the movie is where Ripley really comes into her own and comes out of her shell. So we really don't want to see her then dropping back down into being underinformed and having this moment of a uh, not really being up to date on things. I think that would have been a weak, kind of weakened what we just saw. So take Ripley out. She could have been, she could have walked into the scene with newt earlier and asked what they were, how they could tell what her health situation was. And they say, well, they have these PDTs and that could have happened, you know, but also Burke's going to know, of course, because he's from the company Hudson's going to know, because he's the tech guy and he's already looking for them. So why would he ask the question? Uh, we got Hicks there, but he's always been so competent. I don't want him asking the question either. And then Vasquez is in the background who literally has said she doesn't care about details. She just wants to know where they are. You know, So in this case, she just wants to know where these people are. So really, it was just a matter of deduction. It's going to be Gorman. Um, just from a standard you know, screenwriting standpoint, you've populated the scene with these characters. Who's going to be the one asking the questions? It's going to have to be Gorman. And now I feel like I have more of an insight as to why, because, uh, you know, what you said, Genevieve, makes a lot of sense, and especially considering the fact, oh, yeah, he hasn't really been on these drops. Maybe everybody else has been uh, on one of these searches before where they're looking for these PDTs, so he's the only one that hasn't been. So that clears that up. I, I was a little bit like, yeah, I don't think it makes sense that he's the one asking because he should be the one briefing people, but he's Gorman. He's Gormless. He doesn't know what the <laughs> hell's going on. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know what? That's all I got. I don't know about you guys.
1: Same here. Uh, you know, uh, good character minutes here at the end of the week, but I think uh, you know, uh, less less to talk about as far as like tech manuals go, you know, or bigger universe type things. But uh, yeah, that's all I've got as well.
0: And Genevieve, you're done too. Oh
2: yeah, I was just saying I, I got Zippo left.
0: I was gonna say it's kind of funny that um, the the scene begins with Hudson talking about smoking and it ends with a. a him discussing apparently lighters
2: oh i didn't even i didn't, I didn't even put I, I them
0: together <laughs> i just thought I, I just thought i'd end the, the week with a horrible dad joke like <laughs> moment that's another
1: through line in uh in james cameron films everybody's smoking all the time even in avatar in the future you know kind of his uh you know hippy-dippy like greenpeace movie like sigourney we were still walking around with a cigarette all the time so i don't know i'm thinking that maybe this movie was funded by the tobacco industry i don't know about you guys but
0: you know zippo
1: <laughs> references and the,
0: The scene from thank you for smoking, you know, where Rob Lowe plays the um, like lobbyist and they're trying to figure out how to get smoking into the sci fi movie that was based on how this movie was funded. I I believe that was a true story. Oh, anyway. Okay. Well, Genevieve, let everyone know one more time where they can find you online.
2: Sure. You can find me on the Next Picture Show podcast where we compare two films, one old and one new, that uh, share something in common. I am also at Vox.com at the culture section there. And you can find me on Twitter at Genevieve Kosky.
0: Yeah, I just want to also give a personal recommendation. Next Picture Show is a great show. Uh, Everyone should be listening to it. I love the theme. I love the idea. And I love the Dissolve so much. I'm glad you guys were able to continue (laughs) it's somewhat in the same capacity, but with a little new take on it. So love the show. Everyone out there should be listening to it. Well, thank you. And Kyle, would you like to remind everyone one more time? Absolutely.
1: If you like Movies by Minute podcast, you can check out Ghostbusters Minute, Jurassic Park Minute, and Goonies Minute, uh, which I have been involved with, as well as if you're into sports, we have a sports podcast uh, at Pele Media called Undrafted, which drops every Monday. And if you want to follow me personally, where I just pretty much retweet things that uh, Genevieve and John do, uh, follow me uh, at Kyle Crane on Twitter. And uh, thanks again. Uh, this has been a lot of fun.
0: Oh, thanks for coming, man. All right, well, uh, you can find Alien Minute, of course, at AlienMinute.com, or you can find us on Instagram at AlienMinutePodcast or on Twitter at AlienMinutePod. Come over to iTunes and subscribe to us there or any of the podcasters you prefer to use. But a five-star review on iTunes would be really great. Please, please leave us a five-star review. Anyway, uh, one more time I'd like to thank uh, Pete and Alex over at the Star Wars Minute for coming up with this idea and letting us use it. It's been a lot of fun using your concept and – Uh, Thanks again for that. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. We'll see you next week for minute number 51.